think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. All right, you can tell from the music it is time to put your thinking caps on. Hello, I'm here today to tell you that the devil is not in the details. Instead, God is. And of course, you're smart people, you knew that. But we are going to prove it. Doesn't matter what you know, it matters what you can prove in this world, and that's what our goal is today. Now, this is going to be a little different from what we've done in the past because we have worked through... The Pentateuch, we have worked through the beginning of the historical books, and we have seen our foundations laid out. We have seen them applied theologically and beautifully, but we have been doing this as a skim, and what we have been left with is a, is a conundrum. Do we schmush, highly theological, technical term there, or technically theological term, anyway, however you want to say it, do we smush some of these little books, or do we take them as an opportunity to expand our details the way that God did? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Will we go through this the way we've gone through other books? No. Will we go through it in the most minute details humanly possible? Also no. We'll know exactly how long this is when I'm finished. But we are in Ruth. Now, Ruth is a fun little book because it is... It's almost like a pericope in book form. A pericope is a unit within a larger book. So, like, the upper room discourse would be the upper room pericope. The, uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery was, is actually theologically known as the pericope adultery. So it's the woman caught in adultery. It's a little, it's a little snippet. So think, when you think, like, the road to Emmaus is part of the Gospel of Luke. The road to Emmaus is a pericope within the Gospel of Luke. Well, Ruth, as a book, is kind of a pericope into the look, well, as, as a look into the world of the judges, while being a book unto itself. So, why? God could have easily shoved this into judges. It could have been put into the midst of First or Second Samuel at any point, but it's not. It is included as his own book, and I think one of the reasons for that is one, it was too important of a story to just shove right in there. But two, and this is actually the bigger of the two issues, it actually is an example of everything God has been showing us. All of our foundations, how they are constructed, how they are organized, how they are laid out in this little short story. Like all four chapters. If you haven't read the book of Ruth, go read it when this is over. I mean, it'll take you not ten minutes. But in those short 10 minutes, you will be exposed to the entirety of the work of God in his people and for his people. So let's have some fun. It came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. See, right here, you see all of our things right in front of you. So this is the time of the judges, so a 400-ish, 300-400-ish period, year period from the uh, middle of the 14th century to probably the middle of the 11th century. So from the death of Joshua to the death of Samuel is what, we're, is what the time of the judges is. We don't get an exact pinpoint here. That's all you get. But what was the point of the judges? Remember the remember how Israel is falling away and yet God is restoring and you see the patience of God, you see the perseverance of God, you see the mercy of God, you see the judgment of God, you see the sanctification of his people. You see all of that in the time of the judges, but you're going to see all of that here in this book. So why is there a famine in the land? Well, more than likely, 
Because there's judgment upon the land because Israel is sinning. And the God who has preserved his people is now preserving them in judgment. Which means a faithful Israelite should be doing what? Trusting in the preservation, the preserving work of God, persevering in their sanctification, knowing that it is God who is at work and God who will continue to be at work in them. So during this famine, a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. This is hysterical, because Bethlehem literally means house of bread. So there is a famine in the house of bread. Why? Well, obviously because Israel is sinning. How do I know this? Well, because there's a famine in the land, and this is part of the promise that you'll see. Um, Exodus 23, Deuteronomy 7, somewhere. Read Deuteronomy, it'll do you good. Now, the answer from this Israelite family is to leave, to run away and find something else. This is probably not a good plan if you are the people of God. So the name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Milan and Kilian. They are Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. They went to Moab and remained there. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, Nehemiah 13, Exodus 19, this is always, not sometimes, always a bad idea. This is a direct violation of the command of God. This is a walking away from the promise. This is a participation in idolatry and running the risk of ruining your sanctification. This is abandoning the foundations. This is no longer looking as God, looking at God as the creator and sustainer and preserver and who is patient with us, but it is now looking at God as something that is useless. So they took Moabite women for themselves. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth, and they lived there about ten years. And then both Malon and Kilian also died. And the woman were bereft of her. Of the woman Naomi was bereft of her two children and her husband. Now, do Malon and Kilian die as judgment from God? Maybe. Do they die because of sin? Yes. Could be their sin. Could be Adam's sin. In Adam all sinned. So in Adam all have died. Is this judgment? If you like gun to my head and made me pick one, I'd go, yeah. Was it deserved? Yeah. Does that mean God has forgotten his people? No. Remember, God is both judge and savior. So Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. This is good news. It's time to return to the land we never should have left because God has redeemed his people, he is providing them food, and I need to go home because I don't have anything else here. Now, this is where it gets bad. So, verse 7, the daughters-in-law are going with her. Verse 8, Naomi wants them to go home so that God may deal with this. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me and the dead and with me. I'm sorry, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Why is she going back to Israel? Because God has visited his people. So rather than bring these two women back to the place that you know Yahweh is at work, you send them home to a land of idolatry. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. No, no, no. Your rest is supposed to be in the God who preserves and the God who provides and the God who sustains because we are accountable to him, not this world. Yes, wives are commanded to submit to their husbands, Ephesians 5, but that is because husbands are supposed to be leading to wives in godliness, Ephesians 5, meaning you don't find rest for your soul in a pagan 
husband. You find rest for your soul in God alone. So the, the other good part of this is, I mean, sends them back to Moab, worship of Molech, worship of Chemosh. I mean, this is, this is insane, insane. But Naomi said, return my daughters. So they argue with her. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? See, there's no life here. This is what her argument is. I don't have anything to give you. I don't have any life to provide for you. You need to go somewhere where you may find life. And while my family was sinful enough to intermarry, the other families probably won't be. Yeah, this is a terrible plan. So they, they continue to argue. She wants them to go home. Naomi, and they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. She's literally begging Ruth to leave Yahweh, to go back to Chemosh, who was worshipped through ritual prostitution, child molestation, and infant and child sacrifice. Is this where you should be sending a young woman to? And by the way, Ruth would probably still be a young woman. If they're there 10 years, more than likely Ruth isn't 25 years old yet. What, what career paths are open to her in this pagan land? What are the guarantees of any provision, protection, anything? So here's where you get some good things. So you see, you see Naomi is really not in a good place here, and, and you can't really falter but it's still not a good place. Ruth, the Moabite, the pagan, is the one who actually says it. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. You, your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. See, that's actual faith. That's actually saying, no, 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 that creator you're talking about, that creator that you supposedly worship, I want to worship him too. He is the provider. He is the sustainer. He is the savior, and I want to be where he is at work. That's how this is supposed to go, not whatever, whatever that was that Naomi was engaged in. So... Naomi consents. They go home. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. There's a little foreshadowing for you. Ruth the Moabite has said to Naomi, Please let me go and go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. This is Leviticus 19, Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 24. It's also, what, Exodus 22, Exodus 23. Um, this is part of the provision. This is the social welfare system of Israel. You're poor. You get to go gather behind the pickers. Whatever the pickers leave, they're not allowed to pick up anything that they drop. They're not allowed to go to the edges of the field. So the poor of the land don't starve to death. So this is a good request. So Naomi allows her. She departed, went and gleaned the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Just so happened. Who's the accomplisher of these things again? Who's the one who preserves his people for both salvation and preserves people for judgment? It is God who accomplishes salvation, who accomplishes sanctification, who accomplishes preservation. Accomplishes preservation. It is God who does all, not some, all of these things. Therefore, he is still at work here in Ruth. So, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said, May the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his servants who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Some random lady just showed up. We've never seen her before, and it's, I mean, you pretty much would know who all the poor people are. 
And the servant in charge of the reapers, this is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. Now, again, Boaz would know the story. This is family. It may not be, you know, like uh, Elimelech was your brother, but this is still family down the line. So when the widow returns, the story gets around. I mean, people are people, right? And he said, and she said, please let me glean after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She's been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not glean another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. In other words, just as Ruth wasn't going to have guaranteed protection in Moab. Without the beneficiaries of Israel, she doesn't have guaranteed protection here as a Moabite. The Israelites are allowed to, according to the law of Leviticus and according to the laws of Exodus, they are allowed to enslave the conquered peoples around them. Part of their dominion in the land is to drive out the foreigners, to rid the land of idolatry. So somebody could do literally, legally, some terrible things here and... Boaz, recognizing that, offers her protection. So she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz replied, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, who's under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. In other words, you have done what is good and right. Demonstrating your reliance upon God. God uses means. One of the means he's using here, Boaz. And Boaz recognizes this. Well, you know, be, this, is the, this is the James 2 argument, right? You know, don't look at your brothers in need and say, well, be warmed and be comforted and be clothed. Well, you warm him. You comfort him. You clothe him. That's what Boaz is here doing. So she said, I have found favor in your, if I have found, I'm sorry, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I'm not like one of your maidservants. So Boaz helps her out further because he sees how she's working. He sees the, the need. He provides for her, gives her an extra portion. And so Ruth continues gleaning until the evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So she's got plenty of food. She can go home and make some bread. She took it up and went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also, she also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied, so the leftovers from lunch that Boaz had given her. Her mother-in-law said, where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. Naomi's thinking, hmm, somebody, somebody's taking a little liking to my Ruth here. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked the name of the man with whom I've worked as Boaz. And Naomi said, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. See, because Boaz is a relative, he's a kinsman redeemer. She should stay close to um. Then Ruth relayed everything else. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that the others will not fall upon you in the field. So she stayed close by the maids in order, in order to glean until the end, of the, de- bar, uh, end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So in other words, Ruth has got a place to stay. She is taken care of, and Naomi rightly said, Hey, look, you've been given an offer. Keep it. Naomi, though, has a glimmer of hope, and this is one of the reasons why we need to be patient in sanctification. Naomi and her family were not in the right to leave Bethlehem. They were not in the right to go to Moab. They were not in the right to marry their sons to Moabite women. She was not in the right to send her daughters-in-law away, but 
she is now part of God's people again. She is now in the land being protected by God, being provided for by God and his people. It takes time for everyone, especially when life kicks you in the teeth. That's what you're seeing here with Naomi. So you get to chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? That's actually good. Naomi's starting to wake up and be like, you know, we, we actually have some work here that we need to be doing. Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. In other words, Boaz, single, wealthy man, is a kinsman. He is a redeemer. If he is willing, he can redeem the land of Malon, Kilian, and Elimelech. He can provide heirs for their name so that at the Jubilee, when the land is returned, it will go to those offspring. So the family will be established and provided for. This is good news. Now, again, who just so happened to make sure that Boaz was the one that saw Ruth? Just so happened that Ruth went to that field, that the famine was ended, that the provisions are being made. Wash yourself, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. Starting to get a little shady here, isn't it? But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Still maybe a little bit of shadiness, but this is actually prudent because if you go before that, excuse me, you're, you just got all dressed up and perfumed up, and there's going to be other men working. So you show up like that, ready to see Boaz. You know what everybody and their uncle is going to think. And once again, word spreads quickly. It shall be when he lies down, you shall notice a place where he lies, and you shall go uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. And Ruth said, all that you say I will do. Now, that's key. She's not looking for something illicit. She's not looking for... Well, let's be honest. She's not looking for a sugar daddy. She's looking for redemption according to the law of God. She needs to make that known. So she went down to the threshing floor and did all that her mother-in-law commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of, the gra- of a heap of grain. Boaz is doing this because you don't trust your heaps of grain to whoever. You, you, you stick around, you eat, you drink. It's a party. It's harvest time. You know, bills are getting paid. Barns are being filled. Storage, storage units are being are overloaded. It, it's a good time. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Poor man's going to catch pneumonia. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was laying at his feet. Yeah, I would, I would say that's a behold moment, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that's, that's kind of a behold moment? There's not often that I, I lay down at the workstation and wake up and there's some chick in perfume and, and good clothes, you know, laying at my feet. It's a weird day, right? So he said, who are you? Because it would be dark. And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. She's not asking for a booty call. She's not asking for a midnight rendezvous. She's asking for redemption. Boaz said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether rich or poor. So in other words, she could have chased after whatever she wanted, but she has done what it is a, what is in accord with the law. She has done what it is a, what is in accord with how God has commanded his people to live in the land righteously. She could have gone after anybody, but she is asking Boaz to fulfill the obligation that he has. Therefore, she is fulfilling her obligation, trusting in the Lord's provision, trusting in the path of sanctification that he has laid down, that he as Savior will redeem the people. 
So just as she was faithful to Naomi, she has been faithful to Yahweh and been faithful here with Boaz. So she laid his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Because again, people would talk. Excuse me. Regardless of what's true, you protect the reputation here. You say that. Protect the reputation, protect the reputation. So there you go. So he said again he said give me that give me the cloak that is on you with that and hold it so she held it and measured and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her and then she went into the city in other words he feeds her again why because this is a relationship about what provision and protection this is about salvation now Boaz tells her there's a there's another person who is closer than he, and so Boaz still has to do what is right. I mean, look, Boaz is, a, is at this point apparently an older gentleman. Ruth, like I said, would be in her early to mid-20s, like anywhere from 22 to 25, 26. So, you know, he's an older man. She's, she's a hot little thing, and he's, he could jump on this opportunity, but he's not because there is a righteousness to uphold. So Boaz went to the, went to the gate and sat down. This is where the business is done. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he brings him to turn in and gathers the men because he's got work to do. And then he begins his case. Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to her brother Elimelech. That would be provision for her and Ruth. It's also the way of having it redeemed. She, she, can't, she can't work it. She can't manage it. So by selling it now... She can then hopefully recoup it at the Jubilee, and it will be given back to the family. But right now, they, they, they got to eat, right? So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And the man said, I will. But Boaz says, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess. And then this is true. The widow of the deceased in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. See, this isn't just a you give money and then if Naomi's still around, the field goes back to her. This is a, no, you have an obligation to the widow here to raise up offspring as a Leverite marriage so that the family name will be preserved and protected. That's a little bit different of, a, of an issue. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. Now, according to the law, if somebody refuses this, you're supposed to, like, throw a shoe at them and spit in their face, and, and that's not done here, which means the odds are that this man already has family. He already has heirs. So this would be jeopardizing his family, his stake, his marriage, and everything that's going on. So in other words, there's someone else more appropriate here, which would be Boaz. It would not be appropriate for this close relative. That's why his name isn't recorded. He's not a reproach. He's not a byword. He's done what is right. He's like, well, if it's just a matter of the field, yeah, I'll take care of it. Oh, wait, there's family involved. There's, there's women. I can't, I can't go down that road. The answer is fine. Who can? Boaz can. Once again, who ensures this? Who laid this out this way? Well, God did. Always has. Now, this was the custom, and so they, 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 they sealed the deal. The closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and removed his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders, all the people, you are witnesses, and, and everything is done. So all the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. It's a good blessing. Have lots of kids. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the land, and may the work God does in you 
be done for us. In other words, as you have been faithful, we trust that God will be faithful and that the blessing bestowed upon you will be bestowed upon all of God's people. So Boaz takes Ruth, becomes his wife, they, they have a kid, and then the punchline becomes, there's now, a, there's now an heir, and then of course the ultimate punchline is in the family line as it continues. So I just lost my spot, hold on. So Naomi took the child, laid her in his lap, and he became his nurse. The neighbor woman came and sang, a son has been born to you. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. These are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, to Hezron was born Ram, to Ram Aminadab, to Aminadab Nashon, to Nashon Salmon, to Salmon was born Boaz, to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David. Now you're going, well, that's the whole point. Yes, yes it is. It gets us to David, but that's not the only point that is going on here. The other points that are going on here is a demonstration of the preservation of God, the preserving work amongst his people, that in the midst of judgment, he is still sanctifying and saving a people, that he is persevering with the sin of Israel in order to accomplish what he has promised, that nothing that he has said will go undone. This is part of the long-suffering nature of God, is that Israel, in their time of the judges, in the gross sin and negligence that is going on in that time period, for hundreds of years, God is still at work in individual families, in individual lives, to accomplish all of his great plans and purposes. And he will accomplish them because he will bring about the salvation and sanctification of his people. Nothing that he has said will be allowed to fall to the ground. This is why you read even the little books. Because you see the consistency of God in all of the ways that he works with humanity at work, even in these tiny little pictures, because this is who God is and what he does on a regular basis. So what have we learned here today, children? God is at work everywhere. Israel, Moab, fields, houses, threshing floors. God's people are more than a birthright. Ruth is God's people. Also included in that family line are people like Rahab, who is God's people. Later on will be things like Bathsheba. Prior to that, you saw you know, the sin of Bathsheba with, with David. Before that, you saw Tamar and the gross sin of how Perez comes about, who's part of that line. God's people are not just, well, you got the right family line, you got the right credentials. We're not dogs with a pedigree. We are a people claimed and preserved by God. And God will accomplish his purposes. Why? Because he's God. And all that he has promised, he will be faithful to fulfill. See? Fun stuff, right? Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. Go to the website, check out all the stuff, send your questions, send anything you want. We enjoy it. You had a story, we'll get there. This is how we work. This is how we learn. This is how we grow. So hopefully this is a benefit to you guys. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.